Remember the old, old poem. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty. And all the king's horses could not put Humpty Dumpty back together again. That's right. But you know, we have a great promise that no matter what has tried to define you, no matter what has pulled you down, tried to break you up, no matter what state of brokenness you've been in, we know that Jesus has the power and the capability to put Humpty Dumpty back together again. So you see, when I look at that story, I think, yes, he fell off a wall and you're going, Pastor, where are you going with this? I'm, I'm just telling you that it's not too late. You might think that you have a lot of cracks and broken pieces, but it's never too late. It's never too late for God to do a great work in your life, through your life, because a breakthrough is coming. Amen? If you have your Bible, if you would please turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. And as you turn there, I also notice Dennis is with us as well. Thank you for being with us. We're blessed to have you as well. And here's what it says, as God in his love, in his discipline, proves his love for us. And here's what it says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. In verse 2, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion, the author, the finisher, who initiates and perfects our faith because of the joy awaiting him. He endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated on the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility endured from the sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you have not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin. And I want to bring it back up to you. Disregarding its shame. I know for many of you in this room, you've experienced shame. Shame does not control you. The enemy does not control you. The accuser does not control you. I know for some youth that are in this room, I want you to listen closely. You might go through a journey of making some bad choices. But remember this, that our our all-powerful God will help you get through it. Just because you make a mistake, God's grace and mercy is always there to pick you back up. You're never too broken that he can't put the pieces back together. It's never too late. For many years, there was a lady who prayed for her husband. He was an alcoholic. And he oh, for years and years and years and years... And she would say at every Wednesday night prayer meeting, please, please, please pray for my husband. Please pray for my husband. He was the top of the list. She didn't care if he walked in the room. I, she wanted the world to know and him to know that she was praying for him. There was no shame in her life. 
She loved this man. She was sticking it out. And she said, I know that what he's gone through, what might have tried to break him, will not finish destroying him. He has a destiny and there will be a breakthrough. And I love that it says here that the author and finisher of our faith, when we put our faith and trust in God, God will change the impossible and make it possible. So here we are. She's praying and she's praying. 30 years she prays. And he comes to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. God wasn't finished. 30 years. And God did a great work in this man's life. I hear people tell me all the time, Oh, if I walk in the church, it's going to fall apart. If I walk in the church, the ceiling's going to fall in. If I walk in the church, and they always like shake, and, and I've said, listen, then you're telling me that I'm better than you? Because the last time I checked the scriptures, it says, for all of sin, it comes short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. We're saved by grace. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourself, that is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast or be proud, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. So we have to reside in the fact that, listen, we serve a God of love, a God of mercy, who cares for us. He loves us. And when you feel in your life that it's just too late, it's not too late. Don't you say this with me. It's never too late. Now, let's, let's do it with some emphasis. It's never too late. That's right, because with God, like the song says, all things are possible. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven. Then I will heal their land. I will heal their sins. What have you been participating in? That you feel that it's too late. In this series that I started last week, it's called It's Not Too Late. It's never too late. Today we're going to learn about Rahab, and I put it in quotes, the harlot. I love this, and I'll be highlighting it in our message, but I thought it would be a little bit interesting for you to hear just the next few minutes, the video of a lady who was living the life, it's her narrative, of living like Rahab, the harlot. Why was it? Such an, an important thing in Scripture that every time Rahab is called out, she's referred to as the prostitute and as the harlot. Because you know why? All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. But! Jesus! Our almighty God, Yahweh, put this woman who lived a life of sin, all of her broken pieces, all of her flaws, put her back together again. Watch closely. And this is the scriptures played out in real time.
I've always tried to make the most out of what I've had. And even when things were tough, I always found a way to put food on the table. Even if that meant selling more than just a warm bed in my inn. I never thought of prostitution as something that I chose. This was just something I had to do to provide for those I cared about. And I see the way the other women look at me. They have looked at me like that my entire life. There's no place for a woman like me among the righteous and the influential. I live on the edge of society. Literally. My house is built into the outermost wall of the city. Jericho's red light district. I guess we'll be the first to go if we ever get attacked. For so long, I waited for something to change. For somebody to see me as valuable, not just another body for hire. And I had almost given up hope. Until one day, opportunity literally came knocking on my door. You see, the only people who came to see me were the faceless and the nameless. And these two men on my doorstep, they were no different. They hung their head real low. And it was obvious that they didn't want to draw attention to themselves. And I could see why. They were Israelites. You see, a huge Israelite army had just set up camp across the Jordan River a few days ago. And all of Jericho was talking about them. We had heard about their God, Yahweh, who rained down fire from heaven. Jericho shook with fear at that unstoppable army right outside our borders. And I had two of their spies right on my doorstep looking for a place to hide. None of our gods or idols had ever done anything for me. But maybe their Yahweh could. So I stepped aside and I let him in. Anybody could have seen me talking with these two guys, let alone let him in my house. If I was caught with Israelite spies, that would be it for me. But if Yahweh really could make a path of dry land in the middle of the Red Sea, maybe he could make a way for me. So I shut the door real quick and I, I peered out the window and there was already a woman talking with one of the guards pointing at my house I had to move fast I, I rushed him through the house and up onto the roof but there was no place to hide so I just had him lay down and I covered him with flax and no sooner did they disappear underneath those bushels than did I hear a knock at my door below so I ran down there <laughs> shaking half with excitement half with fear and I took a breath to steady myself and I opened the door it was the king of Jericho's personal guard he must have been more scared than I thought. What can I do for you boys? But they were all business. Bring out the two men who came into your house for they are foreign spies. They knew. There was no turning back now. I had to lie to the most powerful man in the city. Lucky for me, that's something I was actually pretty good at. So I looked him straight in the eye. I said, yes, I think I know the men you're talking about but I didn't know they were strangers let alone spies they weren't buying it I had to get creative I said yeah okay they were here but they left already they escaped through the main gate before it closed and I didn't see which way they went and if you hurry you might be able to catch them and to my surprise they spun around and ran towards the main gate 
It was the first time in my life that I had lied and felt like I was doing the right thing. They had bought my answers. And now it was time for me to get some answers from those Israelites. You see, Israel had a huge army less than 10 miles away, and they were already sending in spies. That could only mean one thing. Jericho's walls would fall, just like every other city that stood before them. Jericho's walls wouldn't keep out Yahweh. And everybody else may have been content to cling to their idols and their gods, but I saw something real in Yahweh. He wasn't just made out of stone or carved out of wood. He was the one true living God that had saved Israel over and over again. And now I wanted him to save me. (laughs) And it couldn't hurt that I had two of his men up on my roof who owed me one. So I went up there. And they came out as they heard me approaching. And then we just sat there, looking over the city, watching the sun sink deep and red into the horizon. And then I kind of just blurted out everything I'd been thinking. I know the Lord has given you this land. There is a fear in Jericho like I've never seen before. Even the king is on edge. We heard about your God and how he made a path of dry land in the middle of the Red Sea and how he completely destroyed the Amorite kings to the east. Your God is the God. He's God of heaven above and earth below. (laughs) And they looked pretty surprised that I knew so much about their God. As I spoke, I felt something that I hadn't felt in so long. I felt this this hope well inside my chest and, and tears flooded my eyes, my heart that had been hardened by so much anger and resentment and loneliness began to soften. For so long, I was just trying to get by, doing whatever I could, never asking for help. And here I was pleading with these two strangers. Please show me and my family kindness because I have shown you kindness. I was desperate. I had to be sure. Swear to me by your God. There was my ridiculous request. These were Israelites, and I was a Canaanite woman and a prostitute. I had to have been the last person that Yahweh wanted to save. So I held my breath, and I waited for their answer. Our lives for yours. That's it? Just like that, I was saved, and all I had to do was believe in their God? And then all I remember thinking is, thank you, thank you, thank you. You know, that actually had to have been my first prayer. Thank you, Yahweh, for saving me. And then, they gave me this red ribbon. They said to tie it to my window the day of the battle and that it would keep me and my family safe. This ribbon represents the most important gift I ever received. Represents hope. 
never would have thought it would come from the God of my enemies. <laughs> so I lowered him out of my window in the wall. And over the next few days, Jericho's walls were shut tight. No one could come in or out. Lookouts were posted everywhere, and the soldiers were preparing for battle. Yahweh's army came marching in with not just soldiers, but with priests and with trumpets. And they marched around our city for six days, blowing those trumpets like they had already won. Not a sword was unsheathed. Not an arrow was fired. Just marching and trumpets. And then on the seventh day, they marched around our city seven times, followed by a loud trumpet blast and shouting. And Yahweh answered their shouts, and Jericho's walls fell. But not my part of the wall. We were saved. The spies came in and walked me and my family through the rubble of the city and out into our new home with Yahweh and the Israelites. I used to think that all I could do was make the most out of what I had. But God wanted to make something more out of me. I put my trust in Yahweh and he saved me and who knows maybe he can use my small part of the story to save someone else it's never too late it's not too late from a harlot to a hero it's never too late. Amen? Praise the Lord. We serve this morning an, op- an omnipotent God with whom absolutely nothing is impossible. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, it reads, And to him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, bigger than any of my problems, Bigger than all of my fears. God is bigger than any mountain I can or cannot see. Bigger than all my questions and bigger than anything. Our God is more than a talking and declaring God. Our God is a doing God. There's no impossible circumstance too far gone that God cannot change. There is no problem too big that God cannot solve. There is no sickness that God cannot heal. There is no prayer that God cannot answer. There is no sinner too lost in their sin that God cannot save. There is no backslider too far from God that God cannot restore. There is no marriage that God cannot put back together. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back together again, but somebody should have called upon God. Amen? And I'm glad that our God doesn't give up just because some people choose to give up on Him. God has changed countless, countless situations. God has changed countless 
circumstances and predicaments. And he's changed people that were long ago given up on by many people. There's some people who believe because of their particular sins and their particular lifestyle and their degraded state, we find it so easy to do just what? To give up on them. We listen too much to the devil of what he has to tell us. Why there's no need to pray for them. There's no need to visit them. There's no need to witness to them. You'll never see them change. Have you heard that? I'm persuaded to believe that there are many people who are in their situation, their circumstances, and their sins. But they're not at all totally happy. They would love to trade places with people who are different from them. But the problem is, they don't even know where to begin. So this morning, we're looking at a person in the Bible that so many people thought was hopeless. So many people thought it was too late for her. And that is Rahab. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you that, Lord, we can come before your throne. We thank you that in this room, you will take the broken pieces of our life and put them and place them back together. So, God, we ask for your blessing this morning. We ask that you'll hide me behind the cross and in your shadow. Help me to explain this as you would If you were here standing behind this pulpit explaining, let all of us hear the word and may it resonate within our hearts and in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in the Bible, you'll see if you want, you can follow along in Joshua chapter 2, verses 1. Joshua chapter 2, verses 1 through 15. I'll let you follow through here with me. I won't read it as there isn't a reason to go back through what she just told the story there in Joshua chapter 2. But it says in verse 15, her house was on the city wall. Rahab was a harlot. We're told that her place of business was well situated. One day she is visited by two strangers. We are told they were spies sent by Joshua, the leader of the Israelites to spy out the land of Jericho. The spies wanted to be as inconspicuous as possible and as safe as possible. So they found a place where strangers would go, the local brothel, Rahab's house, in order to look at this as an inconspicuous place as possible. So they went to a place that most people may not see them. However, Somebody saw them go in, as you heard her say, Rahab, in Rahab's house and reported it to the king that we have two Jewish men gone into Rahab, the harlot's house. Rahab does what? She hides them on the roof and she says to the king's men, Oh, I'm sorry, you just missed them. They left about five minutes ago, but if you hurry, you might catch them up the street. So she sends them away, who were trying to seek out these men, and then goes up to the rooftop to where she has hidden the two spies from Israel. And here's what she says to them in verse 9. 
I know that the Lord has given you the land, so the reason I hid you upon my roof is because the Lord your God is the God of heaven and the God of earth. And then it says in verse 12, Now therefore, please swear to me by the Lord, since I have dealt kindly with you, that you will also deal kindly with me and my father's household and give me a pledge and spare my father and spare my mother and spare my household my brothers, my sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from this death. So here's what she is saying in other words. We know we're fixing to get destroyed, and I want to be delivered. The word kindly is an interesting word. She said, will you deal kindly with me? In the Hebrew word, which I won't say what it is because I'll mess it up anyhow. I don't even speak it. The word kindly means loyal love. And it referred to God's covenant covering. Rahab sensed that these two men had the covering, the anointing of who? Yahweh, of Jehovah God. She knew that they had been sent by God and that a loyal love belongs to God they serve. So she says to the man, I want God's loyal covering of his love upon me and my family, for I have stepped out by faith. I love this here because I really do believe that the covenant that we're trying to see here, that the, the promise that is being represented here is saying that when we walk with Christ, you reap what you given it shall be unto you, right? So here's what it is. The anointing and the covering, she says, okay, by your testimony... From what I've heard, you have an anointing, you have a covering, you, you speak kindly, you are kind, you have this loyal love about you. I want that very same thing. I find it interesting that in our walk with Christ, we lose heart, we lose our way. Are you here today because you have, maybe God brought you back to this time and at this place, but maybe you've lost focus, you've lost heart, you've lost your way. Rahab may have lost her way, but Rahab the harlot knew that God had brought them there. Isn't it amazing how God can use broken people? I think we live in a, in a society where you have to look this certain way and talk this certain way. You've heard me say it through the Unstoppable God series, and last week it's not too late to change our circumstance. God wants to change us. He wants to make us new. He wants us to walk like him Man, because I know I'm a sinner. I can't say that enough. But I love that his promise here in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10, here's what he's saying. God is not unrighteous to forget your work. He's not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love which you have showed toward his name. God remembers what we've done. Joshua chapter 6, verse 17, it says, The city shall be under the man, and it, it and all that belongs to the Lord. Only Rahab the harlot and all who are with her in the house shall live, because she hid the messengers we sent. Then in verse 25 it says, However, Rahab the harlot and her father's household and all she had, Joshua spared, and she had lived in the midst of Israel to this day, for she had hid the messengers from Joshua, who sent to spy out Jericho. 
See, the beauty of association with God's kingdom purposes is that when stuff collapses around you, God can still take care of you. Even though things will collapse around you, God will still take care of you. Do you believe that this morning? Because we are in his will and we're not collapsing with the people or the culture around us. We're not collapsing. Can I just bring up something? This is a little bit of a, uh, uh, an advertisement. But I'm finding that this pandemic has caused churches to collapse. I believe we're in the same why, we're in the same uh, decision of life where people have shut down churches and they've gone bankrupt. I mean, there's nothing left. You know, these are true stories that I hear. Pastor Rob, if you're listening, as he and I were talking this past week on Friday, he used the word here in Canada... This being sheltered in place until the end of July or August is brutal. Think about that word, brutal. But you know what I know about him? I know that Rob is called of God. Now, this is a pastor friend of mine who's right outside of Toronto in Grimsby. You guys have met Pastor Rob. But brother, I want you to know you have a covering and anointing upon your life. Don't you throw in the towel. Don't you ever give up. Because no matter what happens, no matter what culture, even though things may seem like they're collapsing around us, they're not. Because I know that our God can take care of us in this wicked world that we live in. You see, that is why God can take care of our needs and our jobs. When the economy of the world is in trouble, God fed the prophet Elijah by rod of a bird. That is why God can take care of our households and our families and our marriages when most homes and most marriages are falling apart. That is why God can spare our ships on the stormy seas when all other ships are sinking. Because we're not walking like the world. We're not following like the crowd. We are following the kingdom of God, God's will, and God's purposes. But Rahab's story does not end with the Old Testament scriptures. Her name is repeated often in the New Testament scriptures. You hear what I'm saying? He didn't just leave her there. And this is where we're, we're leading it to. So evidently, there's something God wants us to learn about Rahab, the harlot. Whether she is mentioned in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, nine times, I tell you, is always Rahab, the harlot. God doesn't go around referring to Moses as Moses the murderer when he speaks of great faith. Listen, God doesn't go around referring to Abraham as Abraham the liar when he speaks of great faith. God doesn't do that. If you were to see here in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 in the hall of faith. However, when it comes to Rahab, God says Rahab the harlot. It's like God does not want us to forget this woman who made her money by charging men for sex. But the question is why? But the question that I found interesting was why? Why does God keep on labeling this woman throughout the scriptures as Rahab the harlot? Rather than just saying Rahab and leaving it there. Why does God want us to know that that is the woman of the Old Testament who is in ill repute? It is because God wants us to know through her illustration that our past 
does not have to control our future. I'll say that again. God wants us to know through her illustration that our past does not have to control our future. I imagine that Rahab had given up any hope of ever turning her life around, but God had other ideas. He can turn shame into glory in one shining moment of redemption. Isn't that awesome? He can turn shame into glory in one shining moment of redemption. God wants us to know that no matter how wretched our past may be, I mean, you don't get any lower than selling your body to man after man after man and to stranger after stranger, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. That is just about as low as one can go. But you see, this has been placed in Hebrews chapter 11. Next to Moses and Abraham and Sarah, she is placed next to Noah and Enoch and Abel, and God tells what she was, so that we today, who have had some bad past, wretched past, negative past, evil past, God wants us to know if we get our stuff together with Him, God can take our yesterdays and make them better tomorrows. Because you know why? It's not too late. She did not have a religious background. She did not have a godly husband. And all she did, all she did have was a shameful past. But when she connected her purposes to God's purposes, that was tied to these two spies, then all of that which was at work against her, God turned around and she became a new creation in God. In this series, last week I brought up 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, and I'll say it again because it's probably one of my favorite verses. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things become new. When Rahab connected her purpose to God's purpose, her whole life, her whole life was changed, made new. And not only was she delivered, but her whole family was delivered because of her faithfulness, her righteousness to God. So church, listen to me. So regardless of what our past is or was, regardless of how bad the situation circumstances, predicament, problem is, it's not too late. It's not too late. It's not too late. Because here's what I saw here in Joshua chapter 2, Hebrews chapter 11, that God wrote, and it might be off just a little bit, but here's what it said. God knows how to take lemons and make Lemonade from them. We see that sign everywhere. God knows how to take a mess, a storm, a battle, a trial, a valley, and turn it to a glorious miracle that gives him the glory, that gives him the praise, that gives him the honor. So God keeps that tag so that we know God can turn our lives around. He can take the flawed and make us flawless. But that's not all. I'm like, if that's a B, that is 
not going to be all for that poor life. Because when I saw that coming after me, I was like, get behind me, Satan. I'm not getting stung today. All right. Pesky little insect. Here's what I know as we will move full speed ahead here. Matthew chapter 1. I love this. And in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 5, it reads, and I love this, because this is where salmon got the name that we eat. I'm just kidding. It says in verse 5, and salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. Then Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth. Then Obed was the father of Jesse. Now, we've moved up here. Now we're in verse 6 of Matthew chapter 1, the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And then Jesse was the father of David. And we're told in Joshua chapter 6, verse 25. Now follow with me. I'm, I'm kind of got you all over the place. And Joshua served the harlot Rahab alive and her father's household and all that she had. And she dwells in Israel even unto this day because she hid the messengers which Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Rahab and all her family were divinely delivered from the battle of Jericho, one of the greatest battles of all times. And they were taken to the land of Israel to live happily ever after. Rahab now has a new family. Rahab is hanging out on a different street corner. She is now hanging out with the people of God. A man named Salmon, which... I want to say salmon, but when I say salmon, it makes me think of fish, and so I'll say salmon. Sees Rahab and falls in love with her and marries her, right? So Salmon is believed to be one of the two spies that Rahab hid on her roof. They have a son named Boaz. Now watch this play out. Boaz sees Ruth in the fields, gleaning the grain, and falls in love with this beauty. They have a son named Obed. Obed then fathers Jesse. And Jesse fathers David. Rahab becomes great-great-grandmother of King David. And Jesus was born of the household of David. That is amazing. Wow. So people will say to me, I I would surrender to preach, but you don't know my past. I would do this, pastor, but you don't know my past. Well, did you know about Jesus' great-great-grandmother? Because she had a past. Watch this. So what we're showing here is that that shows us that not only does God change what appears to be hopeless people, God also uses them for his glory and his honor. Hallelujah. Woo! I love that. I love that. Man, that's just amazing. So I'm going to say this in closing this morning. Perhaps as, as we move forward here, the best point of all, and it says in verse 17 through 19, and the meds, men said unto her, we will be blameless on this thine oath which thou hast made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall bind this line of scarlet thread in the window which you did let us down by, and you shall bring thy father and your mother and your brother and your sisters and all your father's household home unto thee. And it shall be that whosoever shall go out of the doors of thy house into the streets, his blood shall be upon his own head, and we will be guiltless. And whosoever shall be within the house, his blood shall be upon our head, if any hand be upon him. 
What's that, what that is saying is it's exactly what Rahab the harlot showed. It was the scarlet cord. It was the scarlet ribbon. There was only the scarlet cord in Rahab's house. Red light district. It was a symbol of her trade. When men saw the red cord hanging, they knew there was a harlot to be found there. But the spies told her to hang the cord this time. Not for men to see, but for God to see. When God sees it, it is a confession of Rahab's sin. What she did was she laid it out there for people to see. But as you heard in the narrative, she was honest with herself. I do believe that for many of us who've gone through recovery, step number one is what? Would you go ahead? Powerless over addiction and our lives became unmanageable. Wow. So I really do believe that here's the message for all of us today. When we hang our sins before God, when we hang out our sins before God, then God sends forth His mercy and He sends forth His grace. And in Isaiah chapter 1, and we're going back to the Old Testament, verse 18, here's what He says, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. The old hymn says, There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunge beneath its flood, lose all their guilty stains, lose all their guilty stains, and sinners plunge beneath its flood, lose all their guilty stains. About 18 years ago, I knew the struggle of this young man. And he was much back where, where Drew was sitting. And I remember I was up here and the pastor was preaching. And I was actually probably exactly where Anne Marie was at. And I might even have been sitting where Debbie's at. I felt this overwhelming sense of the Holy Spirit come over me. And he said, turn around and look at that man. I said, I'm not going to turn around and look at that man. He said, turn around and look at that man. I'm like, that is awkward. And we're like talking right in the middle of church. It's invitation. The Holy Spirit's doing its work. And I'm trying to quench the Holy Spirit. Welcome to Todd. So I'm, I'm up here trying to not look so noticeable but inconspicuous. So I do one of these numbers. <clears throat> And I look back, and I see this man. And his hands are on the seat. And he's, and it's, and he's shaking like this. And I thought, wow, what is happening? So I did another thing. I looked this way again. And it was like God right then said to me, hold on a minute, Todd. Who are you? Go back there, grab a hold of that man. 
He needs to be washed like snow. I went to the cross not just for you, Mr. Fancy Pants. I went to the cross for that sinner. So I got out, I walked back, and it took everything for that man to walk down the aisle to get down here and break down and just weep and started crying. Ask Christ into his heart, ask Christ into his life to forget all of the sins of his past, but to make some changes in his life. After that, his marriage was restored. Things started to take place in his life. And, you know, and as I was thinking about this message, I'm thinking this morning about you. You see, before he chose God, God chose him. Did you hear me? Before he chose God, God chose him. He was struggling. And God said, hello, Todd. Get back there and get him. Oh, but I'll be just like every other church. Like, oh, you want to go to the altar and pray? I mean, that's kind of how I felt. It's like I was like sweating. And he's like, and aren't you the assistant pastor here? Maybe you ought to do something about that. So God's always changing us. But he's reminding us of our titles. But more importantly, he's reminding us of who we are. And where we came from. So when you feel that God has let you down. Maybe you feel like God hasn't been around you. Maybe you feel a little bit broken. Maybe you feel in your life it's been rough and it's too late for God to do something with me. Well, if God can change a man back there. And when I went God him, I'm telling you, there was a sense of relief over that young man. That just, I, I, you could just feel it. But Satan also had hold of him. We know the scripture says, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. God chose you. God needs you. Have you surrendered to that? Have you given up? It's not too late. It's never too late. If you'll just come before God... If you'll come before Christ and repent of your sins, turn from your evil, terrible ways, seek out his face, then he'll hear from heaven. He knows your heart. He loves you. He chose you. God wants to deliver you. Will you let him? Are you too much like this instead of like that? Would you let go and let God? Let's all stand as we pray. Father, we come before you today, Lord, grateful that in our lives, Lord, there's redemption. Even Moses, wow, what a thought, Lord. Even Moses came from Pharaoh. He might have thought he was a big deal. And yet, God, in your sovereignty, he didn't look back and see where he came from because he could have relied on his past. But he relied on his Lord. Just like Rahab the harlot said, okay, here I am. My whole life I've, I've bowed the knee to self-centeredness, to immorality, to sexual pleasures and lusts of the flesh and the pride of life. And I've lost my way, but 
Today, if you are the one true living God, I am going to just surrender. I'm going to let go and let you heal. Let you put back together the broken pieces. My shattered life. So God, we're, we're thankful that you came through. That your promises are true. And that you delivered her family. That there was a kindly love. That there was an anointing and a covenant that was upon her. That there was a covering upon her and her family. And that Jesus Christ came. He died. He went to a cruel cross. He took a crown of thorns. And the nails in his hands. And he was pierced in his side for our sins. He was bruised for our iniquities. Yet he rose that third day victorious. All because his great great grandmother made a decision to turn her face. So that her focus wasn't on the lust of this world, but the life and the hope in Christ. So, Father, for those that are here today might be struggling, God, I hope that they know that it's never too late. Pick up the scarlet cord. Hang it over the edge. And we'll wait. Because we know there's hope in you. So Father, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who gives us life and gives it abundantly. And Father, if there's somebody here that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, let them come to the saving grace of Jesus. Maybe there's somebody here today that just needs to let go. This altar call, this invitation is for them today. Speak to their heart change their life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.